for listening to our podcast, recorded live at Gateway Church Ashford. You can find out more about us on our website, gatewaychurchashford.co.uk. I would like to welcome Richard up, a.k.a. my dad. And um, I just want to commend him to you, really. I don't know what I'm doing with this at all. Um, And that I'm slightly biased. I know he's my dad. But he is somebody that reads... If you know him, he loves to read. He'll read widely. He'll read all sorts of things. Um, He's also somebody that loves to serve, and he will do all sorts of things. I remember as a child that he, uh, well, as a teenager, I'd got my first car, and um, I was very possessive over it. I was like, my first car. And one morning I'd woken up that Dad had washed their car, and he'd also washed my car. And I was so indignant at the fact that he had touched my car. I was very ungrateful. But he is the sort of guy that will serve and love you well. So I would highly recommend that you listen well this morning, as Gillian has said, that he will encourage you to do things that maybe that you don't allow yourself time for or don't think about, and just um, just bear with and uh, hear what God has to say. Over to you. Thank you, Deb. That was a surprise, one, wasn't it? <laughs> so when I came in this morning, I can remember as a young person thinking, you know, 2020 seemed like a long way away. <laughs> and suddenly here we are in 2020. Wow. I mean, yeah. And, 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 and you know, for me, it's that realization also that probably most of my life is behind me unless I live to over 100 years old. Um, so most of my life is behind me, and what do I want to make of the future that I have? So I don't know whether you think like that, but I'm, I'm inclined to those kind of thoughts at times. <laughs> and, uh, um, but if you've got a Bible and you like to turn to uh, Philippians and chapter 3, that would be great. Philippians chapter 3. Philippians 3, and let's, let's just read some of that chapter, shall we? Um, so beginning at verse 1. Whatever happens, uh, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. Watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us, and we put no confidence in human effort. Though I could have confidence in my own effort, if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a a real Hebrew, if ever there was one. I was a member of the Pharisees, uh, who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I, might, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. And I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. And I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. 
I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. And I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I haven't achieved it. But I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to the reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. And let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. And if you disagree on some point, I believe God will make it plain to you that we must hold on to the progress we have already made. Let's just pray. Father, we, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's a timeless word and it speaks across generations and cultures. It speaks to us in this 21st century, this year, 2020. And we pray, Holy Spirit, you would just now give us ears to hear that each one of us might hear you speaking to each one of us personally, that we might hear you as a church and respond to you corporately, that we might be the people of God in our generation, laying hold of all that you have laid hold of us for in the name of Jesus. Amen. There are many possibilities that I could have given to this title, and you know, I have the privilege this morning of choosing my own preach, as it were, or, or seeking God and being directed by the Lord. And the moment I was asked if I would do this Sunday morning, I knew immediately that I would speak on this chapter. It was just one of those things that you kind of know. And you could give it several different titles. I mean, you could call it very conveniently 2020 Vision, you know, because that just fits with the year that we're, we're in. Um, many other possible titles, Letting Go and, and Reaching Forward, One Thing I Do, or, or Pressing On, or Laying Hold of That for Which Christ Jesus Has Laid Hold of Me. And I just love that verse, and for me it's a life verse in Philippians 3, verse 12. Uh, not that I've already obtained all of this or already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. I, I tend to prefer the NIV. It's rather like the older translations, NKJV, um, New King James Version, etc., which I grew up with. And some of the more modern ones make it a little bit garbled in its kind of communication, and I, I don't think they do so well. But not that I've already obtained all of this or already arrived at my goal but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. That, for me, has been a life verse. That, for me, has been something I, by God's grace, have endeavored to, to live by. That, that God loved me and called me for a reason. It wasn't just simply to save me and get me to heaven, but for a purpose. And that he had a purpose for me, and I needed to discover that purpose and to lay hold of it as best as I could, as best as I knew how to do. And it's been a journey of twists and turns. It's like walking with God. Is, is, there's a mystery attached to it because, you know, you, 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 you have that sense of what God lays on your heart right at the very beginning, and you think, ah, I've got it. This is it. And I can remember thinking like that as a 17 and an 18-year-old after I'd experienced the Holy Spirit and, and just a sense of God's calling on my life. And, right, okay, let's get up and, and let's do it. And I, I began to explore different ways of doing that, only for God to overturn those ways of doing it and lead me in an entirely different way altogether. And that's part of the challenge of walking with God, of, of walking in step with the Holy Spirit. There have been uh, great times. There have been times of great joy and rejoicing. There have also been 
tough times in that journey. There have been disappointments along the way. Disappointments which at one time, I have to admit, would have potentially derailed me if it wasn't for the grace of God. I wouldn't be standing here today if it wasn't for God's grace. I can remember one time I'd gone through an experience and I, I just thought, I don't want to be involved in ministry anymore. It's too painful. The challenges are too high and too difficult for me. And I, 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 would, I was on the point of, of dropping out, but God cornered me. You have that, you know, when you say, God, I want to serve you. God, I want to do what you want me to do. You're in a corner. Because, you know, God, God, God has his way of just coming to you and working and moving in situations and people and circumstances and getting you on that course. And I, I trust that's the case for each one of us, that we, we really do want to lay hold of all the everything God has laid hold of us for in Jesus, uh, to possess uh, everything that he has possessed us for. I don't claim to arrive, and I discover the older I get that the, the, the more there is to learn, the more I need to keep growing. And, and the more I need to keep reaching forward. So, yes, there have been disappointments, and those disappointments could have derailed me. And time and again, I've had to go back to God and say, God, I don't understand this. I don't understand why this has worked out this way. But, God, you're sovereign. You're my Father. You're the one who has called me by your grace. And, and, and by your grace, I take the next step forward. So 2020 vision, what is it? A lot of people think that 2020 vision is, is having perfect vision. It may be that you think you've got to be the perfect Christian to have the perfect vision to be able to do the perfect job that God calls you to do. But actually 2020 vision is not perfect vision. It is normal vision. It's, it's about seeing with clarity. It was, it's about seeing with, with sharpness. It's about, and that's why you do your eye tests. And so, it's, so if you've got this idea, somehow you've got to be this perfect Christian and have this perfect vision to fulfill God's perfect purposes, just push that to one side at the moment. Because actually God works within the normality of our everyday lives. And it's about walking with him in the ordinary that we encounter the extraordinary. The trouble is we can be looking for the extraordinary without even bothering to do the ordinary. So it's, it's working in the mundane. And I can remember times when I've, I've done mundane stuff. I've done work and I thought, God, why am I doing this? I can remember a whole season when for a long period of my life I was just working on my own. I thought, God, you called me to be with people. And yet most of my working life I would only see a person perhaps 1% of the week, if that at times. And, and God, what is all of this about? But it's understanding God's, God's purpose at that time. Saying, God, here I am. I'm wholly available. Mold me and make me after your will. And, and, and that's a challenge at times. It's a challenge. So 2020 vision is not about getting a perfect vision. It's about being able to see with clarity, with sharpness in the here and now. And I, my prayer is that each one of us would have that de desire, that we would have clarity of vision. Maybe your vision is blurred at this moment. Maybe there are things that have gone on over this year that have kind of obstructed or, or caused your vision to be a bit foggy in some way or another. And uh, so God's desire is that, if I can put it this way, we do have 2020 vision for our lives. You know, are you, are you launching into this new year with kind of like, okay, whatever will be, will be. The future's not ours to see. You know, that kind of fatalism that, okay, whatever comes, you know, I, I, you know, that's life. I don't believe God wants us to live like that. God wants us to take every day. He wants us to take every week. He wants to, to, us to take every month. And, and so what, what is that vision? Have you got a vision as you move into this 
this new year? Have you a vision for your life? Have you a vision for your, your work? Have you a vision for your, your, your marriage? Have you a vision for your family, etc.? So you could go on. And so that's just kind of putting some stuff out there. So it's this ability to see with clarity and sharpness his purposes for us and to pursue them with all the strength that he gives us. And so in this chapter here, Paul has a, a very clear idea about his vision and his purpose. And, and he suggests that it's a sign of maturity uh, that what, whatever we've, wherever we've got, we should hold fast to that and not slip back. You see that in chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. So wherever you have arrived at, uh, it is to hold on to that position in order, not that you may count there, but actually that you might take the next lot of ground. Okay? Uh, because Christ being a Christian is about advance. It's about moving forward. It's about uh, growing in Christ. It's about greater maturity and so on. So number one, uh, a point I just want to mention in looking at this chapter, and it, it, it doesn't relate to any particular verse, it's right through this chapter, it's right through uh, the book of Philippians, it's right through uh, the, all that Paul writes, it's right through the New Testament, and it is this, that Christianity is not a passive exercise in belief or a lazy indulgence in grace, okay? That's the first point I would like to make, that Christianity is not a passive exercise in belief or a lazy indulgence in grace. It's a tactic of the enemy to, to get, or get us to settle with simple knowledge of the truth. Ah, I know that bit, tick it off. I know that bit, tick it off. I know that bit, tick it off. And so knowledge becomes simply a, a mental accumulation of facts and ideas about God and, and what Christianity is. The knowledge that Scripture speaks of is meant to be experiential. It's meant to be something that we know. We're, we're called to not only know about God, we're called to know God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're called into a personal relationship. We're called into something that is indeed very experiential. And so the, the tactic of the enemy is to just get us to settle with ticking off the facts. Oh, and he'll be quite happy with us, even learning doctrine, so long as we don't live into it. And all doctrine should be lived. All theology should be lived. Amen? Yes, it should be. Um, otherwise, we will simply be going through an ac academic exercise in what we believe. And that, the enemy would be quite happy with us doing that because we will not be troubling anyone else. Uh, at the same time, he will be happy with us settling for uh, cheap grace, that kind of grace that says, oh, well, you know, God, God loves you anyway. God, God's forgiven you, and he's done everything that needs to be done in Jesus. And, 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 he, and he knows that you really do struggle with that kind of sin, and, and he, he'll go on forgiving you anyway, and, and you know, just, just, just doesn't matter about changing. That would be a dangerous place to be as well. And God doesn't want us to settle there with uh, cheap grace. It's a, a tactic of the enemy to, uh, of our souls to, to get us to settle down in some way or other, to, to be comfortable. And if there's something I, I feel in the spirit I want to do this morning is to be provoking. Because God doesn't want us to settle down into a, a nice, comfortable place, and, it, and it's a kind of there, there Christianity. He wants us to be men and women of God. He wants us to be ground takers. He wants us to be people who, who fight the good fight of the faith, who, who may know how to lay hold on eternal life and to live into all that God has for us. So the enemy wants to settle us. He, he wants us to feel comfortable. He wants us to, to he, he's quite happy with us being complacent. He's quite happy. Now, I, I'm not talking about legalism here or anything like that, but he's happy when we don't read the Word of God. 
He's happy when we don't pray. He's happy when we don't get involved in fellowship, when we don't get involved in church and so on. The enemy is quite happy with us having the lowest possible form of Christianity that you could possibly imagine. He hates it when people get serious. He hates it when people say, I'm going to make an effort to pray. I know I struggle. And listen, everybody struggles to pray. It's a battle because we're up against the enemy. But God has given us his Holy Spirit. So when we get into prayer, when we get into the word, we become a threat to the enemy. When we become spirit-filled, we become a threat to the enemy. And one of the things that the enemy suggests to us, he comes along and says, well, actually, nobody's perfect. No, no, no one's perfect. You know, so, you know, why don't you just forget the idea of attaining anything other than what you are, where you are? Don't worry about it. There are plenty of other Christians who, who struggle with this, who, who don't know how to go to the next step. No one's perfect. The good that I would, I do not. And the bad I don't want to do, that I keep on doing, the enemy will quote to us. Romans 7, out of context. Read Romans chapter 8, it's an entirely different story. Read the whole of Romans, it's an entirely different story. God saves us by his grace and he empowers us to live a different kind of life, to live in newness of life, to be changed, to be delivered from past sins and to live into the goodness of God, etc. And when we look at this chapter here, yeah, no one's perfect. I'm not perfect, you are not perfect, we're not perfect, Paul wasn't perfect. And he says, I haven't arrived, but he doesn't say, this is where I'm settling. He said, I know. Verse 12, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. Is that your ambition this morning? I hope if it's not at this moment in time, you go out here with, this, with that ambition. That I don't want to settle I don't want a comfortable Christianity. I don't want to be uh, just settling with the facts or, or just indulgent in, in a lazy kind of grace. I want to be a terror to the enemy. And so the gospel from the outset was radically a life-changing message. Throughout his letters, Paul uses uh, some very intentional and aggressive language, and he, he does so in this chapter. And I'm going to just throw out a few here as we... We consider it. So, number one, he says, rejoice. That's not a passive. That's rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. In verse 2, he says, beware. There are people to look out for who weren't doing your faith any good. In in verse 10, he says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings. In, In verses 12 and 14, we've got two references to, I press on. I press on. And, and, and then he says in, in verse 13, he says, one thing I do. So he has one ambition. He has this, this one thing, this focus that shapes the way he thinks about his life and ministry. One thing I do. And then verse 13 again, I, forgetting what's behind, forgetting what's behind, straining forward to what's ahead. And then verse 16, let us hold fast to where we've got to. Let us hold fast. So when you, when you look at this, there's, there's no passivity here. And if there's a tool that the enemy likes to, to use to uh, disable the church, it's passivity. Just, just, just that kind of passive thing. Well, I don't know what to do. I, I don't know who I am. I, I, you know, I'm just a little old me. I, I'm just, you know, all sorts of things that he can cause us to be passive in some way or other. Listen, brothers and sisters, we're all 
have access to the same calling. We all have access to the same anointing. You go back into the Old Testament and you, you think of David, King David, and you think of, of King Saul. Two men, both equally called of God and both equally anointed of God. One was successful, the other one failed. Both had trials and temptations. One was successful and the other one failed. One walked in the spirit and one walked according to the flesh. One made the right choices, one uh, messed it all up and, and, and served himself, etc., etc., and made the wrong choices. You read the end of their story, you read their epitaph, and it's not good. You read his epitaph, it's not, Saul's epitaph, it's not good. You read David's, and it's a different one altogether. Sometimes I think, what would I like written on my gravestone? <laughs> Sounds a bit morbid, doesn't it? You know, but what, what, you know, when people, when, when I die, what would, what would, how would people sum up my life? He was lazy, you know. He served the purpose of God in his generation. I hope that could be said. He served the purpose of God in his generation. Isn't that what your ambition would be? That people would say of you, he or she served the purpose of God in their generation. Doesn't mean you necessarily see everything that you believe for. That's the nature of walking in faith. But we keep on believing. And as Hebrews says, there are people there who, who saw what they believed for and others who didn't, and, and yet it says the world was not worthy of them. Yeah? So there's no passivity here, no passivity to this Christian life. Let me ask you this morning have you stopped growing in your knowledge of God? in your walk with the Lord? Have you kind of leveled off? Has, has, has someone or something taken you out? And you're just here this morning because you're just here this morning. And that's, that's it, you know? I want to say that there's grace for you this morning. There is. There is grace for you this morning because God is the one who loves to come along and say, come my child. I know where you're at. Let's get up and go on again. You know, the steps of a good man or a woman are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. And though that person should fall, they will not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholded him with his hand. And you're here because God upholds you with his hand. And he wants to sweep you along and take you forward into new dimensions of life in him and the serving of his purposes. So, second point in this chapter, we have the magnificence of grace. And really, you can't start thinking about the Christian life unless you think about the magnificence of the grace of God. Otherwise, what happens is we get into performance mode. Somehow, we're trying to perform up to God to get him to bless us and to bless what we're doing. But the magnificence of grace turns that on its head completely. So, you look at this chapter here and... Paul wants them to be very clear about certain things. So he says at the very beginning, rejoice in the Lord. Their rejoicing is to be in the Lord. It's not in their circumstances. It's in the Lord who rules and reigns and is their redeemer. He calls them to watch out for those who would take them out in some way or other and cause them to lose what they have got in Jesus Christ. And then he says in verse 3, we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised, or we could put it another way, we are the true people of God. We have the circumcision of the heart. And, and, and he says we, we worship in, by the Spirit of God, and, and 
New Living Translation says we, we rely on what Christ Jesus has done for, you, for us. Or other versions say we, our boast is in the Lord. We glory in Christ Jesus. I want to ask you this morning, do you glory in Christ? Do you find a boast in him, a delight in him? You know, that, that thrills your soul. There's an old song that we used to sing in my, my early Christian days. All that thrills my soul is Jesus. He is more than life to me, the fair and the fairest of 10,000. In my blessed Lord, I see. I mean, I can remember those days when I, Jesus first captivated my heart, and I'd go home, and I only knew how to play a piano one way, and that was hard. And I, I would bang out this song, and, and uh, it's interesting, because mum would always say, I could always tell when you, you, you'd not had a good day at work, because you'd come home, and you'd play the piano, and you'd, you'd sing, you know, and you'd sing your heart out. And, and I'd pick up these songs, what a wonderful change in my life has been wrought since Jesus came into my heart. I have light in my soul, which so long I had sought since Jesus came into my heart. And it's that sense of Jesus captivating us, Jesus being enthralled with Jesus. And I, and I want to ask you, are you enthralled with him this morning? Who he is and what he's done for you. I mean, goodness me, he's loved you like nobody else will ever love you. He, he, he knows you through and through. He sees the secret thoughts. He sees those actions that, that, that you wouldn't want anybody else to see, perhaps, and all that kind of thing. And he loves you. And he died for you. And he rose again for you. And he lives today for you. And he prays today for you. Yeah. Hallelujah. Yeah. I mean, that is something to be excited about, isn't it? Just to have a boast in Jesus. And so... Paul talks about, you know, we worship by the Spirit of God and we boast in Christ Jesus. My boast is in him. I know that nothing I do will ever make me right with God, get me to heaven or, or whatever, you know. Jesus is my everything and he is my all. Amen. Yeah. So uh, as we go on there, he talks about putting no confidence in human effort. And Paul had every reason to do so. And he, he lists it there from verse 5 onwards about how he was circumcised how he's a pure-blooded citizen of Israel, member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew, if ever there was one, member of the Pharisees. He was so zealous that he actually persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I abide the law without fault, he says. And he says, but that was no good. That didn't get me anywhere. He said, verse 7, I, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is of worthless is worthless when compared with the infinite value, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He gloried in Jesus. He, he loved him. I can still remember today one of the old saints who made such an impression on my mind. We had a missionary lady come to the little Pentecostal church where we were, and I, I can still remember this day how she spoke of Jesus. And I thought, oh my, oh my. Isn't that beautiful? It was just, just so wonderful. And, and my hope that I could, I could be the same somehow, you know? It was just a preciousness. It was just like, oh my, I've never encountered anyone like this before. Lovely, spirit-filled missionary lady. And so this magnificence of grace, all these things Paul says, these, these, you know, the living by the law, etc., doing those religious things, actually, they, they were garbage. He says, so, so for, for his sake, I have discarded everything 
else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. And I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ or through the faithfulness of Christ. Thank God for Jesus' faithfulness. Yeah? My faith is in his faithfulness. And I trust yours is this morning. It's his faithfulness, his obedience to the law in every detail. No, no, no slip up anywhere, no fault, no failure. And then taking everything wrong about us and going to the cross and paying the price for everything that separated us from God, from the most holy God. And he goes down into death and he bears uh, our sin and he pays the price for it and he rises again. And today we are made right through him, through simple belief in him. Hallelujah. <laughs> the gospel is, is it's like it's too good to be true, isn't it? But it is so good, it is true. You know, you, sometimes we kind of look at it and think there must be something between the lines here. You know, you look and you see the deals out there in the world at times, you know, particularly at this season. And especially when I was in, a, I won't name the shop, but I was in the shop the other day. And this, this guy had spotted me looking at various things. And I came back and looked again. And obviously he thought I was a catch, you know. And, and, and he came to me and, and he, he's kind of, oh, he was going to sell me this thing. And he just came full on and he, oh, he's talking to me and he got me in. And he said, oh, come and have a look. I've got, I've got this behind the counter here. And, and suddenly I thought, hey. and, and then I said, hang on a minute. <laughs> I said, I'm not, I'm not buying. <laughs> you know, but as I listened to the kind of the deal that he was trying to offer me, you know, it's like, what's going on between the lines and all of that. But there's, there's nothing between the lines in this deal. God's grace is exactly what it says it is, what it says on the tin. Hallelujah. Yeah? So we are righteous today through Jesus Christ. Amen? God, God in Jesus has taken all that was bad about us, that, that minus account uh, that we had, that we, which was, if you like, trillions in debt and we could never pay off, not even with one dime of anything that we've got. And Jesus comes along and he... He, he bears our sin, he pays the price, and he brings it into a zero account. That would be really great, wouldn't it? To know that my debt was paid forever. But you know, I would be worrying. I would be worrying that somehow or other I'm going to run back into debt again. And that's what a lot of Christians do. They worry about that they might run back into debt again. What happens if I, if I sin and then fall under a bus? What happens? You know, where do I stand then? Listen, he not only paid off our debt and got it into a zero account, he then filled the whole account up as well. So it's a plus account. Amen? Well, you don't sound too excited. You really ought to be because, I mean, it's, it can never, ever be diminished to be righteous in Christ. He is our righteousness. It has been imputed to us. Hallelujah. The devil doesn't like it. But it's the truth of the word of God and it is the gospel, the good news. Hallelujah. So you have this magnificence of grace. And unless you, you understand the magnificence of grace, it's very difficult to live in the next section because the danger is you get into to law in, in looking at I press on and I lay hold of and all that kind of thing. You start doing it in a legalistic way. But when you live in the magnificence of grace, you're freed from that kind of approach to it. You say, yes, God has laid hold of me in his grace for a purpose. I'm not earning anything. I'm just laying hold of that which is already done for me in Jesus Christ. Wow. I could talk all day about the grace of God. Because it is that magnificent. And I trust that as you go into 2020, you take a fresh look. Go and drink again at the well of salvation. 
and draw up, you know, drop your bucket in. If you're dry this morning, drop your bucket in and draw up fresh water from the well of salvation, as it says in Isaiah 12. And drink of that water and let it, let it just, 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 you know what it's like when you, you're parched and you're dying for a drink and you go and just get a glass of water and just down it. And it's like, wow, isn't that good? I can remember a, a time years ago uh, when, the, when the children were younger and we had that drought that lasted, I think it was about three months. Uh, and, you know, we'd not seen any rain. And, and then it started raining. And I remember the children, Tim and Lisa and Debbie, suddenly went out into the rain and they were running around in the rain. Way! You know, it's raining. And just enjoying the rain. Maybe you just need to go out and enjoy the rain of God's blessing again. Yeah? Just enjoy it. You know, shake off the miseries. You know? Shake off the heaviness. Put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, as the scripture says in Isaiah. You know, just, just to be refreshed and delighted. God, you are amazing. Your grace is amazing. It's staggering. Enjoy it. So, uh, then we, we understanding that. Number three, then, forgetting what lies behind in verse 13. He says, one thing I do, Paul says, one thing I do. There was a single-minded devotion Paul has here. He says, one thing I do, forgetting what is behind. And uh, uh, forgetting doesn't mean literally forgetting. In fact, the more you try to forget something, you actually kind of fix it more and more in your brain, don't you? That's the way we're wired. Uh, but it's, the more you try and forget it, it's there. But it means assessing it and, and not allowing it to become a, a controlling element in our thinking and our behavior at the present. Is there, is there something in your life that is doing that at this moment in time? And, you know, you, you think of driving and, and continually looking in the rearview mirror. A lot of Christians are doing this. You know, you're driving along and looking in the rearview mirror all the time. You try driving your car and looking in the rearview mirror all the time. Tell you what, you won't get very far. You'll soon be involved in an accident. And, and that's, that's the danger for us. That if we are driving all the time, we're, we're driving our Christian lives all the time, looking in that rearview mirror, we're in trouble. We're going we're to hit something. We're, we're going to come up against something that's going to knock us out. So Paul says, forgetting what is behind. It means letting go of it. You know, when we... When we don't, we are, we are simply condemned to live in the past and not obtain the present or the future that God has for us. And God doesn't want that. And God has provided grace so that that doesn't happen. And it may be that there are various things I'm going to quickly run through uh, just here that have immobilized you, that you're not forgetting. It may be that there are, there are sins that you have committed. And I want to say, this morning, there's forgiveness with God. There's forgiveness. As it says in 1 John 1, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If there's something you know that's happened and you've sinned in some way, the gospel is for you. That's where we preach to ourselves. There's forgiveness, there's cleansing, there's renewal this morning. It may be that you're carrying unforgiveness. And that's a, a big issue for, that crops up time and time again. And we see it in the Word of God and how that it can lead to bitterness and the bitterness pollutes and so on. 
Is there somebody in your life that you are not forgiving? Every time you see them, it brings up something within you. There's not only unforgiveness there, but there's resentment, there's bitterness. It's poisoning you, it's poisoning your your marriage, it's poisoning your family, it's poisoning others around you. It's time to let go of it. It's time to move on. It's time to forgive them and to move on. It may be that there are, there are disappointments that have come about through mistakes, through uh, failures in some way or other, through people. I, I'm a perfectionist. This, this, was a, this was a big one for me. I'm a perfectionist. I like to do things well. I don't think, like things that are not done well. And, but I've had to learn that actually, you know, life is messy. Yeah? Have you, have you learned that one? You know, life is messy. Even the Christian life is messy at times. We're not perfect people. We're, we're people who are being transformed. Sometimes we hurt one another. Sometimes things happen to us, you know, through no intention or whatever it is. But So there could be disappointments through mistakes, through failures. It could be people have let you down in some way or other. And that's just immobilized you. Maybe you didn't get the grade you wanted. You didn't get the job you wanted. Could be all sorts of things that are disappointments, and those disappointments are paralyzing you in the present, and you need to let them go. It could be events over which you have had no control whatsoever. You need to just, you know, let them go. I've had events in my life, I've, I thought, God, I just don't understand that. I do not understand that at all. But I let it go. I let it go. It could be that you're an if-only person. You know, you're one of those people who think, well, if only I'd managed to do this or I'd managed to do that, you know, when you think about the past. And so that if-only attitude is immobilizing you in the, in the present because you're always thinking, oh, if only I'd gone and done that. If only I'd taken up that job instead of that one. If only I'd gone to... and so on, you know? So it becomes a, a list of if-onlys. That's, again, a bad place to live. Your life is where you are today. My life is where I am today, and we need to accept our lives where we are today in order that we might move into God's future for us. We learn from our, our past. We look at those things. And, okay, was there something I did wrong there? God is, one of the things I'm always saying is, God, is there something I can learn from this? Is there something that you want to change in me? Is, some, is there something, you know, some way I can grow through this experience? And also, past blessings. We can't live on them, can we? You know, that in, in the wilderness, Israel tried to keep the manna to the next day, and they found out it was no good the next day. We, we, we thank God for all the blessings of the past. And there, there are some people who, who live as if... You know, I, I can remember something I looked at a few years ago uh, on the Internet, and, and the sad thing is well, they were trying in some ways to create the Welsh revival all over again. And they were singing the same songs, and they were trying to create an atmosphere of something that had gone, that had moved on. We have to thank God for past blessings. Thank God for them, but we don't live in them. We don't partake, as it were, of that old manner. We, we need the blessing of God for today, and we need to be laying hold of that. Maybe that fear holds you back, just, just simple fear. God wants to deliver you from that and give you a faith-filled future. 
So, number four, and I need to move on very quickly. Number four, Paul says, I press on. I, I, I strain forward uh, to what lies ahead. So, having let go, I'm not in, now in a no man's land. I am now pressing forward. I am looking to what God has for me, and I am laying hold of that. And the word, uh, uh, trans, word translated press means to, to move rapidly to, and decisively towards an objective, to hasten, to run, to, to press on. And the root idea is to chase. So you can see the sense of momentum that God wants to ha- us to have as his people. Straining uh, means to exert oneself to the uttermost, to stretch out, to strain forward for something. And so Paul here wants to, to lay hold of something in Christ. And I want to say to you this morning, wherever you are at this morning, there's more. Yeah? Can you say that with me this morning? Wherever you are at this morning, there's more. Turn to the person next to you and say, wherever you are at this morning, there's more. Amen? Come on, let's do it a little bit more confidently. Turn to the other person now and say to them, wherever you're at this morning, there is more. Amen? There's more for every one of us. Amen. Yeah, absolutely. There's no retirement in the kingdom of God. You know, there's, there's more. We'll be on the battlefield till the day we die. You know, there's always work to be done. <laughs> yeah, so knowing and laying hold of Christ. You know, that passion I spoke of earlier, maybe that's something you need to pursue as you go into this new year. Growing in grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, as Paul says elsewhere. Laying hold of what he has for us. You know, uh, God has callings on our lives, specific callings. It's laying hold of that and entering into it and uh, and partaking of it. The the gifts of the Holy Spirit, another area that we could sort of throw into here. You know, the gifts are not just for those who lead at the front. The gifts are for the whole body of Christ. Amen? Amen? Turn to the person next to you and say, God has gifts for you. And then say it more confidently and assuredly, telling them, God has gifts for you. Amen. So God has gifts for every one of us, and he wants us to obtain them and to grow in them, to flourish in them. It may be that you need to grow in prayer. It may be that you need to to grow in the word of God. It may be that you need to, to grow in fellowship, just connecting with other Christians and in one way or another. It may be that you, you need to serve in some way, that in some way or other you need to say, actually, I, I need to get into an area of service within the life of the church. And there are multiple areas and ways that you can do that. So the challenge this morning is, wherever you're at, move on. Amen? Wherever you are at this morning, thank God for, because you're there by his grace. But wherever you're at, there's more. Let's move on. Let's strive together. Let's, let's, let's pursue God's heart for our lives. Let's pursue God's heart for us as a community of his people in a way that has the devil trembling. So let's stand, shall we? As we draw to close, and perhaps a band would like to come up, thank you. I want to ask you simply, what do you need to leave behind this morning? 
What do you need to let go of? What do you need to forget? Could be the enemies right now just whispering to you saying, well, actually I should leave that for another day. You need to think that one through a little bit more, etc. It's always got delay tactics. You know, these moments are precious moments and they're moments where we can make a decision to take us forward in a new way. John Maxwell said this, he said, you will never change your life until you change something that you do daily. John Maxwell, preacher, pastor, business leaders, trainer, and so on these days. You'll never change your life until you change something you do daily. 